Commission for Tuesday, September 13th, 2022. Item number one is roll call. President Willie Adams will be absent today. Vice President Kimberly Brandon. Here. Commissioner John Burton. Sitting over there. Commissioner Gail Gilman. Present. And Commissioner Stephen Lee. Here. The San Francisco Port Commission acknowledges that we are in the unceded ancestral homeland of the Ramatishaloni, who are the original inhabitants of the San Francisco Peninsula. As the indigenous stewards of this place and in accordance with their traditions, the Ramatishaloni have never ceded, lost, nor forgotten their responsibilities as caretakers of this place, as well as for all peoples who reside in their traditional territory. As guests, we recognize that we benefit from living and working on their traditional homeland. We wish to pay our respects by acknowledging the ancestors, elders, and relatives of the Ramatishaloni community, and by affirming their sovereign rights as First Peoples. Item number two is approval of minutes for the August 9th, 2022 Port Commission meeting. So moved. Second. We have a motion and a second. All in favor? Aye. 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 Any opposed? The motion passes unanimously. The minutes of the August 9th, 2022 meeting are approved. Item number three is the Pledge of Allegiance. I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. Item number four is announcements. Please be advised that the ringing and use of cell phones and similar sound producing electronic devices are prohibited at this meeting. Please be advised that a member of the public has up to three minutes to make pertinent public comments on each agenda item unless the Port Commission adopts a shorter period on any item. Public comment must be in respect to the current agenda item and the Commission will take in-person public comment first and then remote public comment, comment on each item beginning with comments in person. And for remote public comment, please dial 1415-655-0001 and then enter access code 2483-411-0155 pound. During each public comment period, our moderator will instruct you to dial star three to be added to the queue for that particular item and an audio prompt will signal when it is your turn to speak. If you're watching this meeting on SFGov TV, there's a short broadcasting delay. So to not miss your chance to comment, please dial when the item you want to comment on is announced and then mute your device and listen to the meeting only from your telephone, which has no delay. And that brings us to item five, public comment on items not listed on the agenda. Thank you, Carl. We will take public comment on items not, not listed on the agenda. Is there any public comment in the room? Seeing none, Jenica will be our operator and provide instructions now for remote participants. Thank you, Vice President Brandon. At this time, we will open the queue for anyone on the phone who would like to make public comment on items not listed on the agenda. Please dial star three if you wish to make public comment. The system will let you know when your line is open. Others will wait on mute until their line is open. Comments will be limited to three minutes per person. The queue is now open. Please dial star three if you wish to make public comment. 
At this time, there are no members of the public on the phone wishing to make public comment. Thank you, Tanaka. Public comment is now closed. Carl, next item, please. Item 6A is the Executive Director's Report. Good afternoon, Vice President Brandon, Commissioners, Port Staff, and members of the public. I am Elaine Forbes, the Port's Executive Director. Sanford, uh, September is a great time to get out, uh, visit the port, and see the bay. And with this great resource comes an obligation to keep our shoreline, shoreline and bay waters healthy. Coastal Cleanup Day, an annual community-based event, is this Saturday and is the largest organized volunteer event. The Recreation and Park Department is hosting a volunteer team at Heron's Head Park and surrounding areas to help clean and green on this great day of service. This event removes literally thousands of pounds of garbage and debris from the bay. We owe a debt of gratitude to the volunteers who show up each year, and I encourage the public and our staff to get out to ensure that our cherished public open space remains a place that is healthy and welcomes everyone. Thank you all in advance for this day of service to the shoreline. Economic recovery. I have more good news to share. Once again, our port commissioners and staff have gone above and beyond to buoy our finances and secure funding to advance our strategic plan. Last week, the state legislature adopted over $140 million in sea level rise funding with the priority of funding going to urban waterfronts, ports, and ecosystems. This is the first ever notable state investment for sea level rise funding and a new priority for the state. And we are in a good position to compete for the funds the port commissioners and staff played a big role in securing this funding, working with the California Association of Port Authorities, our lobbyists, the San Francisco State Delegation, and numerous stakeholders to advocate for sea level rise adaptation funding on a hard urban edge. I wanna take this moment to reflect on the port commissions and staff ability to break through longstanding barriers to federal and state funding dollars in the last three years. This is proof of our ability to achieve new heights to make the port's post-pandemic renaissance real. I want to make a special thanks to Assemblymember Phil Ting, Senator Burton, and our staff, Boris Delapine, for the most recent outstanding achievement with the state budget. This will allow us to use federal and state funds to pay for capital and resilience work and direct port harbor funds to other critical needs. Investing in our long-term durability of our facilities and freeing up harbor funds for operating expenses is a key economic recovery strategy. Now I'd like to share some upcoming events and activations that will add to the vibrance of the port in September and October. We're excited to host many events on our waterfront. Uh, the first, Portola Music Festival, which will take place at Pier 80 on September 24 and 25. We've been work, working closely with our terminal management operator, Pesha Automotive Services, Nonplus Ultra Inc., Golden Voice, and multiple city agencies to provide a safe and successful event. We expect over 30,000 concert goers each day and a high level of community outreach that the event producer and their partners and to action has accomplished is very impressive. Additionally, a job fair for the festival took place um, in Mandela Plaza recently, offering hiring for on-site on for positions in hospitality, box office, guest services, and specialized labor. 
Many people and businesses from Bayview, Petrero Hill, and Dogpatch communities have signed up to have an active role in the festival through employment or vending opportunities, including favorites like Auntie April's, Radio Africa Kitchen, and Yes Pudding. We look very forward to this music festival. And we're excited to announce movie night at Crane Cove Park. Sundown Cinemas and the SF Parks Alliance are hosting a free movie night at Crane Cove Park featuring um, a film Friday night, September the 30th. What better way to spend a Friday evening than watching a movie with the backdrop of our beautiful bay? And of course, Port Staff is preparing for Fleet Week 2022. Thank you to Commissioners Gilman and Commissioner Lee for joining staff last evening to celebrate the kickoff. Fleet Week brings tens of thousands to our shoreline to celebrate military service and enjoy all our waterfront offerings. Up to four Navy vessels will be moored along San Francisco waterfront at piers 3032 and 35. The public can come visit the vessels on the weekend of October the 8th. The port welcomes back the Blue Angels to the bay. We're very excited to once again be the best place in the city to enjoy Fleet Week. We have worked extremely hard this year to stabilize and grow our revenue. Today, once again, we see our hard work paying off. We are entering our busy fall season with stability and a good foundation to have proud achievements through the end of the year. That turns me to equity. The port has strong partnerships with tenants, and these partnerships help us to achieve our economic recovery goals and our equity goals. The Ferry Building is tenanting spaces with new and diverse businesses to revive the waterfront and to make place for minority-owned businesses to thrive. Street food pioneer Sangjun Fast opened its Ferry Building restaurant on August 24 and will be serving tasty Filipino-American food. Reams, California, an Arabic bakery, is coming to the Ferry Building kiosk in late September. The Ferry Building's commitment to activating the waterfront equitably is notable. We are also working with the Ferry Building to support retail opportunities for black-owned businesses modeled after the exceptional Juneteenth celebration. This will, I can't wait to share more news on this, but it will be coming in November. The port continues on our journey to create an anti-racist organization. We are excited to embark on, the, on an internal month-long celebration of Latino uh, History Month, where we'll be looking at the community's rich history and valuable contributions and diversity of cultures spanning from Mexico, Central, and South America, and the Caribbean. Happy Latino Heritage Month to everyone. I'm adding resilience to the director's report going forward because it is a key strategic plan and mission of the port. So I'll share some exciting news. The resilience engagement continues to be strong. We've engaged this last month with several key city departments on our waterfront resilience program, aligning capital efforts and investment. A series of focus groups with the port's advisory committee members and community-based organization leaders have been completed and feedback from the focus groups is being used to prepare for broader public engagements on the draft waterfront adaptation strategies, which you'll be hearing about in October. Our thanks to consultants RDJ Enterprises and Andrea Baker Consulting, who helped coordinate these focus groups and continue relationship building with community leaders, particularly in the southern waterfront. Today, you'll hear from staff presenting progress updates on the Embarcadero Early Projects, which are near-term actions focused on improving life safety to prepare for citywide disaster response capabilities and build that first step towards long-term waterfront-wide resi waterfront resilience. 
we will see at least one Embarcadero early project break ground in 2024. The port has been busy and successful at leveraging public dollars to obtain state, federal, and private dollars to ensure a resilient bayfront, bayside waterfront. We don't have all the funds in hand. We have quite a long way to go, uh, but we have been successful on these first steps. <clears throat> we are at a critical time for the resilience program. And we will continue to need the public and stakeholders' engagement to deliver waterfront resilience up and down the waterfront. So thank you, commissioners. Now in closing, I would like to say goodbye uh, to one of our senior leadership members and share news of a transition. Katie Petruccioni, our Chief Financial Officer and Deputy Director of Finance and Administration, has accepted a leadership position with the City Administrator's Office. Katie's last day is this Thursday. Katie has been an absolutely outstanding leader in our organization, helping us move forward as we navigated some very troubled waters at the beginning of the pandemic, uh, really challenging emergency responses and economic recovery times. Although it's very hard to say goodbye to Katie, I'm proud to see her take her talents to a new arena that will have citywide impact. And I know we have some very challenging uh, issues to solve and I'm pleased to know Katie will be there. Katie has been with us for six years. Uh, she has created a team built on respect and teamwork. I think she will be most missed by her team for her exceptional leadership style. During her tenure, the finance and administrative team modernized critical operations, like moving from paper to electronic timesheets. For example, in partnership with the engineering division, Katie really made the first plan for our PMO office understanding that we needed really targeted resources to deliver our capital plans and programs. She also helped set up the Facility Inspection Repair Program Assessment, which we call the FERPA. Uh, these uh, advances have really improved how we understand our facilities and how we invest our capital dollars. She very skillfully oversaw our capital budget process and developed the port's first five-year capital improvement plan that ensures that we are spending our limited dollars wisely. While I was deployed in the early days of the pandemic, Katie stepped up and served as acting port director. She ensured that our organization did not lose its way during a very uncertain time uh, with the support and leadership of uh, Vice President Kimberly Brandon. I wanna thank you, Katie, for your leadership and your remarkable contributions. And I have flowers and a plaque to present. Um, I, I wonder, should we go to uh, public, com uh, public comment first or do the uh, ceremony? Let's do the ceremony.
think we'd like to open it to staff and public comment, and then you're welcome to say the final words, Katie. Thank you, Elaine, so much for your report. A lot of great stuff happening along the waterfront. Okay, is there any public comment in the room, including anyone that wants to say something about Katie? Hello, commissioners, members of the public, and dear colleagues. I'm Rebecca Benassini, Deputy Director for Real Estate and Development. I want to tell a short story about why I will miss Katie. When I first became Deputy Director, I didn't know how much business I would have with her. I thought I would just be handling mostly real estate, but as it happened, I lost a number of key staff members, and Katie started putting ominous-sounding calendar invites in my inbox, like collectability, AR, audited financial statements, individual audits, and I won't testify on the record how much I knew about these things, but I will say that Katie provided that support for me and really um, made uh, learning new things, even at a very high level. It's hard when you're at a high level to admit that you need to learn a lot of things. Katie helped put everything that we do into perspective of values and outcomes and getting things done and explained things in a way that obviously was very helpful for me and um, communicating with my staff. But also um, I learned in sessions with her that Katie speaks her mind and has a very strong perspective on what the role of the public sector is and what our role as departmental leads or division leads and departmental leads is. And I think that kind of courage is really rare and really wonderful and um, it helps us cut through the process of a lot of the things we do into what we're trying to achieve. So that's what I'm gonna really miss and I think I admire that so much in you and you're gonna bring that to your new position in spades, I'm certain, and help just focus on outcomes and focus on who we're working for and what we're trying to get done. So thank you, Katie. Good afternoon, commissioners. It's Mike Martin, uh, Assistant Port Director. Um, I didn't really know Katie directly before I came to the port. She had come a little before me when I came over from OEWD. And I still remember talking to Director Forbes when I was deciding whether to come, and she mentioned that Katie was coming, and I was like, oh, you're building a team. Because I knew, I knew Katie by reputation as someone that could really get things done and had kept her eye on the ball in a super tough environment like the Recreation and Park Department. And I felt like she'd be a great fit at the port. And I didn't even know how right that was. Um, I have very much appreciated the opportunity to work with Katie on the senior team. Um, you know, I, I have billions of anecdotes of how she's helped me. I would say one thing that I'll always respect and remember is as we were entering the deepest, darkest days of 2020 during the pandemic, and we came to her for the first time with a proposal to forgive rent. Well, we didn't know where the bottom was in terms of how our revenues were going to drop. And Katie kept her eye on the ball the whole time. And I can't imagine how, how a CFO must feel when someone comes and tells you that in the middle of that situation. And I just always respected it. And Katie, on top of what Becca said about Katie understanding and really living what it means to be a public, public servant in the public sector, she's always trying to do things better. And I think that's something we're gonna miss that she, now that she's gone to the city administrator's office and we're gonna have to replicate here. But as a, as a person that roots for San Francisco, I'm very glad that she's gonna make the city administrator's office better too. So all the best, Katie. Good afternoon, commissioners. David Bopre, Deputy Director of Planning and Environment. I just wanted to thank Katie for her years of service with the port. Um, and her assistance throughout uh, 
the time that she's been here. Every time I approach Katie with an issue or problem, which is most of the things that I would approach her on, she was always just very responsive and direct and sometimes provided some great guidance too with kind of her famous line of what is the problem we're trying to solve for. So I appreciate your time, Katie. Thank you so much uh, and good luck in your new position. Afternoon, Commissioners. Rod Iwashita, Chief Harbor Engineer. Um, I think uh, Director Forbes and I share the same uh, speechwriter. Because <laughs> all of the things that she's mentioned, I just checked off of my list. Um, I really, um, when I, I showed up five years ago from the private sector, um, Katie was there as a great colleague and collaborator and a role model. Uh, we talked about the project management office and just, you know, some of the projects that we've been able to complete are Crane Cove Park, the Hyde Street Police Harbor docks, the emergency sewer repairs at Amador Street, the shelter-in-place facility at uh, the Pier 94 backlands. I, and I think the PMO was critical in, in having all of that work get completed on, on a really timely basis. Um, Director Forbes also mentioned FERPA which I think I've coined, but I think uh, Katie was the driver behind that, trying to link inspection data to capital spending and prioritizing what our needs are with our limited resources. So I think it was really great. And, and uh, yeah, <clears throat> excuse me, I'm always gonna um, admire her for stepping up to lead the port during COVID. It was just um, really, <clears throat> really wonderful. Um, and so beyond our time in the pandemic, I'm, I'm grateful for working alongside a, a great public employee and at the port. And I got to see how smart and caring and passionate um, a person she is. And she just made it a wonderful team uh, to work at. So best wishes, Katie. <laughs> and I'll truly miss you and hope our paths cross again. Thanks. Commissioners, members of the public. My name is Nate Cruz. I'm the finance director. Um, I've worked for Katie for the last three years, and I thought it was worth bringing up an example of someone who really was affected by her leadership during COVID. I started back with the city in 2008, and one of my very first assignments was to work was to author a fiscal impact report for the Board of Supervisors about the 2008 Clean and Safe Park Bond appropriation. I didn't know I'd still be working on that. 14 years later, but <laughs> but I asked my boss, I was just green to the city, I asked my boss, Ken Bruce, who to talk to about this. I didn't know anything about it. And he said, call Katie Petruccioni. She's one of the good ones. And I did, and he was absolutely right. She has taught me so much 14 years ago as well as in the last three years. Really, working through the pandemic with you under your leadership has been the most rewarding phase of my career. I will miss you. Good luck. Is there any other public comment in the room? If not, Jennifer will provide instructions now for remote participants. Thank you, Vice President Brandon. At this time, we will open the queue for anyone on the phone 
who would like to make public comment on the executive director's report. I'm going to miss Katie a lot. <laughs> okay. Please dial star three if you wish to make public comment. The system will let you know when your line is open. Others will wait on mute until their line is open. Comments will be limited to three minutes per person. The queue is now open. Please dial star three if you wish to make public comment. And at this time, there are no members of the public on the phone wishing to make public comment. Public comment is closed. Commissioner Gilman. Um, first off, Katie, I just really want to wish you good luck on your next chapter on adventure with the city administrator's office. You have been so kind and generous to me, walking me through the finances of the department my last four years on the commission. You were always matter of fact, and even when I'll just speak for myself. I offered a hairball idea that I'm sure in your mind you thought was not going to make sense. You were gracious and tried to explain it to me and see if it could work. And so I just really want to thank you for your leadership. And I also want to acknowledge and uplift what you've seen your fellow colleagues and staff members say of you today. You've made such an impact on the port. And I hope and know you'll continue to make an impact for the city and county of San Francisco. So best of luck to you. Commissioner Lee. Uh, well, um, Katie, we didn't get a chance to do anything yet, but, <laughs> but I know Administrator Chu is no joke, and that she wouldn't pick you if you weren't the top, and I give um, the director credit because you're losing all your good people, which means that, you know, it says a lot about the staff members on your, on your staff. Um, and beyond that, um, I'm happy that the, uh, there is this concert coming up. Uh, which is, will provide a lot of jobs for people down at the Bayview and that area and, and responsible entertainment and public safety. It's always been my thing. And I know that it helps the community a lot to, uh, for in the hospitality agency, uh, industry. So I hope that um, more will come. Um, and um, if I could be of any help with that, you know, with my experience, I'm there for you. But a lot of good things coming. Thank you. Commissioner Burton? Well, it's an old uh, habit in the House of Representatives to associate yourselves with the remarks of others. And uh, I'd like to do that. But having had key staff people of mine leave at one time or another, it just realizes how much credit that I was given for the work that they had done, and Katie, I think uh, members of the commission would feel the same way about what you have done and just wish you well in your new uh, assignment. And I'll feel free to call upon you even if you're over there. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Katie, you know, when you first came to the port, you had big shoes to fill. And you stepped up, you stepped in, you pulled up your sleeves, and you made it happen. You have done such a phenomenal job over the last six years? Five, six years? You have done such a phenomenal job in keeping us afloat. And, and uh, the one thing no one has mentioned is Katie has all the patience in the world. In dealing with me, 
She is so patient. We have met so many times over the last five years. And when you stepped up, when Elaine had to go to the Department of Health, and you stepped in, you did an incredible job during a very difficult time. And so I will always admire and respect you and appreciate all that you have done for the Port of San Francisco. And Carmen is getting a great CFO. Now it's your turn. <laughs> Commissioners, Executive Director Forbes, fellow colleagues, members of the public. Um, first, I just need to thank Elaine Forbes. Um, <laughs> okay, I cannot lose my composure here. Um, I'm so appreciative of the opportunity that you gave me I'm so appreciative of the leadership and your humanity. Um, you've been a great boss, and I'm so appreciative that you convinced me five and a half years ago to come work for the port. Uh, so thank you for that. This commission, thank you, all of you. I've learned a tremendous amount from all of you individually and collectively. It's so clear how much you care about this organization and the waterfront and the community that surrounds the port. And I'm just appreciative of the time and the effort and the caring that you put into supporting us as staff as, and as an organization. So thank you for that. I'm deeply, deeply appreciative of my colleagues, of my fellow deputies, an incredibly smart, capable, dedicated, collaborative group of people. Um, folks that I've been so glad to come and work with on a daily basis. And I'm, there are no words for how much I appreciate my staff. Um, I'm so, so proud of the work that we've done together in the last five years. I'm proud of the, in particular, of the work that we did during COVID, both internally to take care of the staff, to make sure that everybody went home and was able to work on, at the drop of a hat for two years from home. The fact that we were able to have port commission meetings remotely still feels miraculous to me <laughs> that we were able to pull that off. So I'm, I'm incredibly proud of my staff, of the finance work that we've done. Uh, just so grateful for them as, as people and as colleagues. I'm really proud of, of the work that I did on the team to put Proposition A on the ballot to support the seawall, as well as the economic impact work that we did as a precursor to the Racial Equity Action Plan. I am a native San Franciscan. Uh, I love this city. I love this waterfront. This is such iconic San Francisco property, and it's been an absolute honor and a pleasure to be able to come to work down here on a daily basis and to take care of it and to help, I hope, position the port and the waterfront for growth in the future. So thank you very much for having me. Um, I'm really, 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 I'm gonna miss this organization so much. 
Um, and hopefully, I will see everybody again. So thank you. <laughs> Thank you, Katie. We're all going to miss you. You have to come visit sometime, okay? <laughs> Thank you. Carl, next item, please. Item number seven is the consent calendar. 7A, requests approval of a resolution adopting findings under state urgency legislation to allow certain members of this body to attend meetings remotely during the COVID-19 emergency. 7B, requests authorization to issue a request for qualifications for as-needed environmental and related professional services. That would be resolution 2244. 7C, requests approval of rent forgiveness for China Basin Ballpark Company, LLC, lease number L16410, under which one, the port will forgive past due base rent for the period of March 1st, 2020 through April 30th, 2021 totaling $523,133.81, and two, the port will waive late fees, interest, and attorney's fees, resolution 2245. And 7D requests approval of a rent repayment and forgiveness agreement for Seawall Lot 337 Associates, LLC, lease number L16417, under which one, the port will forgive past due base rent for the period of March 1st, 2020, March 1st, 2020 through April 30th, 2021, in the amount of $100,000, two, tenant will pay $644,078.21 in past due base rent for the period of March 1st, 2020 through April 30th, 2021, and three, the port will waive late fees, accrued interest, and attorney's fees. That's resolution 2246. So moved. Thank you. We have a motion and a second to approve the consent calendar. We will take public comment on the consent calendar. Is there anyone in the room who would like to make comment? Seeing none, Jennifer will be our operator and will Thank provide you. instructions now. Thank you, Vice President Brandon. At this time, we will open the queue for anyone on the phone who would like to make public comment on the consent calendar. Please dial star three if you wish to make public comment. The system will let you know when your line is open. Others will wait on mute until their line is open. Comments will be limited to three minutes per person. The queue is now open. Please dial star three if you wish to make public comment. At this time, there are no members of the public on the phone wishing to make public comment. Thank you, Jenica. Public comment is closed. We have a motion and a second. All in favor? Aye. Aye. Any opposed? The motions passed unanimously. Resolutions 2243, 2244, 2445, and 2246 are now adopted. Carl, next item, please. Item 8A, requests authorization to make the Dungeness Crab Pilot Program permanent as part of the port's retail fish sales program at Fisherman's Wharf, Resolution 2247. Thank you, Carl. Good afternoon, Vice President Brandon, Commissioners, Director Forbes. Um, I'm Dominic Moreno, your Assistant Deputy Director of Maritime. Um, I'm joined today by Andre Coleman, Maritime Director and Demetria Mara, our newest Maritime Business Development Manager, to request authorization to make the Dungeness Crab Pilot Program permanent as part of the port's retail fish sales program.
program at Fishman's Wharf. Um, as background, you'll remember Port Staff implemented a Port Commission approved pilot program for off the boat retail fish sales in 2017, and we returned to make this program permanent in 2021. At that Port Commission meeting, we introduced an opportunity to include Dungeness Crab into the retail fish sales program, resulting in a Dungeness Crab pilot program. I've returned today to report that this pilot program was a huge success. <clears throat> Commercial fishing is a defining feature of the Port of San Francisco, and seafood is integrated into the fabric of the local community and its culture. The fish sales program is intended to facilitate access by the San Francisco commercial fishing fleet and the local community to fresh, affordable seafood without harming other parts of the fishing industry chain of economics, such as our fish processors or distributors. The 13 commercial fishers that have participated in the program have greatly enhanced the public's access to fresh seafood products, as there is no other retail opportunity for uncooked seafood sales currently authorized at the wharf. The port wishes to continue expanding the retail fish opportunities to further enhance public access to retail sales. Port staff will explore new ways to expand access to diverse retail uh, seafood sales, including discussions with stakeholders and return to the commission for future changes beyond this proposal to make permanent uh, Dungeness Crab Sales pilot program. The port, the port proposes to make the Dungeness Crab sales pilot program permanent as the trial period of one year proved successful with over 15,000 pounds of uh, crab sold to the public from the boats in this first year. We learned a lot, specifically with regards to signage, wayfinding, and queuing. Again, the retail fish sales program is intended to help commercial fishers, but not harm other parts of the fishing industry. Based on the pilot program, the ability of fishers to sell fish, including Dungeness Crab off the boat, did not harm wholesale fish sales at Fisherman's Wharf and potentially enhanced. The retail fish program expansion supports two key goals of the port strategic plan. Engagement, promote the richness of the port, uh, excuse me, promote the richness the port has to offer through education, marketing, and maintaining strong relationships with port users and stakeholders and economic vitality, attract and retain maritime and non-maritime commerce uh, to contribute to the long-term viability uh, to the port and city. To provide certainty for the fishers and crabbers who have enjoyed the economic opportunity and revitalization at Fisherman's Wharf, port staff strongly recommends and respectfully requests the Port Commission convert the Dungeness Crab Sales Pilot Program to a permanent component of retail seafood sales at the wharf. This concludes my presentation. I appreciate the Commission's time and consideration. I'm available for questions. Thank you. Thank you, Dominic. Can I have a motion? I so move. Second. Now let's open it up for public comment. Is there any public comment in the room? Seeing none, Jenica will provide instructions for our remote participants. Thank you, Vice President Brandon. At this time, we will open the queue for anyone on the phone who would like to make public comment on item 8A. Please dial star 3 if you wish to make public comment. The system will let you know when your line is open. Others will wait on mute until their line is open. 
Comments will be limited to three minutes per person. The queue is now open. Please dial star three if you wish to make public comment. We have one caller on the line. Let me open that line now. Thank you. Hi, my name is Nick Krieger. I own the fishing vessel Ariana Rose, and I participated in um, both fish sales and crab sales off of my boat. And um, I think it's hard to have one without the other. Um, I had a much easier time interacting with customers and, and letting them know about all of the great fish we catch, not just crab, um, but they really came down for the crab. And um, it was just, we were amazed at how many people came. It, it made a huge difference in the area. And it really made a huge difference for um, a lot of the smaller boats. Our seasons, both for salmon and crab, have really been um, cut, cut really short. Crab is, you know, a two or three month season where it used to be an eight month season. So for a lot of the smaller boats, um, this may have been the difference in surviving or not. Um, and with salmon as well, they got uh, a series of five days openers as opposed to the whole season so it really allowed people to make a little bit of extra money and um, you know survive as a fisherman um, I also personally really enjoyed meeting the people that that are eating what we catch and getting to tell our story um, there's so much inaccurate information and um, negative information about fishing it's just really nice to be able to interact with the public and tell them tell them that we have a lot of really good seafood and sustainable seafood here in San Francisco. And um, I was expecting it mostly to be people from San Francisco, which there were definitely a lot of, um, but there were people from all over the Bay Area um, that were coming. And quite a few of them were people that said they'd really never go to Fisherman's Wharf because they think it's just, you know, t-shirt shops and, and tourists. And it was people that live in the area that were coming down to buy crab and, and fish. Um, I think it was also really good for a lot of the people who, you know, were against it initially. I think it was really good for the restaurants, there are a lot of people who made a long trip from, you know, Sacramento or, or Fresno and made a whole day out of it and had dinner at, at one of the restaurants um, or had appetizers and drinks at Skomas while they were waiting in line um, for crab. And um, some of the restaurants even were cooking crab for people. And I think as we continue to do it, that'll be an opportunity to fillet fish and uh, to cook crab for people. Um, and then a lot of the wholesalers that were against it ended up you know, we, we're selling on days we're not fishing, so we're not there every day. Um, and on days that we're out on the water, people were still coming down. And I think a lot of a lot of the wholesalers, um, especially one of the ones that are on, um, you know, on the main street right there that does sell to the public, I think they sold quite a bit more crab than they normally would because people were so excited about buying from the boats. And when we went there, they, they found them and bought crab from them where those people wouldn't have otherwise been there. So... I think it went really well, but I think it's going to just continue to be better each year we do it, and and um, I really appreciated the opportunity to do it. So thank you. Thank you. Are there any other calls? We have one additional caller on the line. Great. Thank you. Hi, uh, this is John Barnett from the uh, president of the Crab Boat Owners Association, and San Francisco. And though I didn't take advantage of selling off the boat, um, I chose not to. 
still selling to a, a wholesale market. I can say that I also participate in some of the tourist trade there, um, carrying passengers for hire. And there has been a strong, um, I guess, uh, enjoyment of being able to come to San Francisco by a lot of the locals um, to buy crabs, to buy salmon, uh, to participate, especially with all the restaurants uh, not reopening uh, right around Fisherman's Wharf. It's making it a lot easier for people to pull up and, and park real quickly to buy fish with a lot more spots. And it's helping a lot of the smaller boats uh, that are able to now get a little bit better price sell to the public and um, make their business work for their, their system. So I just wanted to, to basically put my uh, favor towards it. A lot of the fishermen I represent are in favor of it. Uh, not all were able to call in. Some are salmon fishing. And I just wanted to uh, represent them. Uh, thank you. Thank you. Are there any other callers? At this time, there are no other members of the public on the phone wishing to make public comment on this item. Thank you. Public comment is now closed. Commissioner Gilman? Dominic, everyone, I think you all know how enthusiastically I supported this as a pilot, and I am thrilled to see it become a permanent program here on Fisherman's Wharf, both for folks who come in, um, as, as the callers talked about, from Sacramento or other places, but for our local community. I think it's really imperative that we start driving local San Franciscans back to the waterfront, um, particularly someone who lives blocks from it, um, in North Beach and Chinatown to get folks to come down. I hope everyone will come and buy live crab. Um, and I look forward to working in collaboration with port staff on signage and wayfaring so that we can really promote this more. Um, I was honored that I was able to buy salmon off the boat. It was an incredible experience for me, my family, and my friends. And I'm so happy we we're doing this. Every other port around the globe, and even the United States, from Barcelona to Sydney to Boston, people are buying live fish um, on their waterfronts. And I'm happy San Francisco is now part of that family. Thank you. Commissioner Burton? No comment. Commissioner Lee? Um, you know, I, I was, it's amazing that this hasn't been done way before because I used to go to Half Moon Bay a lot to pick up crap. But as COVID-19 is um, we're recovering, what we want to do is bring more traffic to the port and having the crab and having whatever we can do, concerts, whatever, to bring more people, the trickle-down effect helps everyone. And it is hard to get it through the first time. I'm sure there was some opposition at the beginning, but it's proven that um, this works. And I just have a question. Is there um, kind of signage? Because I haven't, you know, I walk down there and pick up stuff, but when I want to drive there, I always think that there's no place to park to quickly uh, grab, you know, a couple pounds of crab. But is there a, a designated spot for people that just want to drive in? So currently, thank you for the question. So currently there are a few lots around the Triangle lot. Um, there's a, a lot up on, let's see, Jefferson Taylor, um, uh, right across from uh, Alscoma Way, there's a there's a parking structure. Um, it was one of the challenges of the initial um, opener that that uh, parking would become um, an issue. Um, we will I'll work with Commissioner Gilman on on signage and wayfinding, and um, we'll include parking in in that strategy. Yeah, even if it's a 24 minute one, you know those quick you know meters. They can come in, grab grab their crab, and then take off. But we do want to encourage them to stay. 
and eat at a restaurant while they go shopping. So that'd be great. I'd like to see that okay. happen. Thank, Thank you. you, sir. Thank you. Dominic, thank you again for the presentation. And Dimitri, thank you so much for all the work that you put into this. And I'm very supportive of uh, making this permanent. I just want to make sure that we have reached out to our advisory groups and, and hopefully that there's no opposition to this and it, the success of bringing people to the waterfront and enjoying it, enjoying the crab and fish sales, everyone is supportive of. I just, well, I just want to know if there's any opposition or uh, I ha In the last year, I haven't heard of opposition. Um, it's all been favorable. And, and you've also taken this to um, talk to the Fisherman's Wharf tenants and North, Northern Waterfront Advisory Group? Uh, we have uh, engaged with a few of the restaurateurs. Um, I, yeah, there, was, there was favorable um, uh, response from... Well, I had dinner the other night with a person who will re remain nameless, but if there was ever going to be any opposition to it, it would have come from my dinner partner, and uh, <laughs> there, was, there was none. And uh, this person's never been shy about and, and she's got a history in the port, so <laughs> I think, mean, you know, nothing's unanimous, but... Uh, the, if there is op opposition, I haven't heard from it, and trust me, I hear from <laughs> anybody who wants to drop a pin, I hear from it from my friends. <laughs> thank you, thank you. I just I'll use wanna... that as my answer, but. <laughs> <laughs> I, I just want to make sure that we are, you know, doing our part in community engagement and making sure that everyone's aware of what we're doing and that we are at least bringing it to the attention that this is what we're doing. Like I said, I'm fully supportive of this, and I think it's great. I just want to make sure that we're doing our part in letting the community have input in what we're doing. So thank you. Okay, we have a motion and a second. All in favor? Aye. Aye. Any opposed? Motion passes unanimously. Resolution 2247 has been approved. Carl, next item, please. Item 9A is an informational presentation on the initial Southern Waterfront Earthquake Assessment. Good afternoon, Commissioners, uh, Director Forbes. I'm Rod Iwashita, Chief Harbor Engineer. I'm here with uh, Matt Wickens, uh, Project Manager with the Resilience Team, uh, to talk about the initial Southern Waterfront Earthquake Assessment. Um, we're going to present key findings from um, the study and um, also provide uh, next steps on how these findings will be advanced, mitigated, and or incorporated into parallel efforts uh, at the port. Uh, the assessment was initiated at the direction of the Port Commission uh, in order to increase our understanding of the seismic hazards and vulnerabilities to southern waterfront facilities. It, it is a companion to the Embarcadero Seawall Multi-Hazard Risk Assessment, uh, or Multi-Hazard Risk Assessment, pardon me, uh, which was ongoing at the time of this request. Um, all right. So this next slide presents um, 
some uh, typical damage that happens around ports, uh, typically to due to liquefaction or slope movement. Um, I think we just want folks to know that earthquake risk is real and it can have a big impact on the operation of ports. Um, the purpose of the initial southern waterfront earthquake assessment is the initial characterization of geotechnical hazards and structural vulnerabilities of selected port facilities south of Mission Creek um, as shown in the yellow areas of the map. Um, this is the first comprehensive assessment of earthquake hazards across multiple facilities. Uh, and it is most similar to the 2016 earthquake vulnerability study for the seawall, which was the catalyst for what became the Embarcadero Seawall Program through the successful Proposition A general obligation bond in 2018. Uh, the study's main objective is to identify gaps in available uh, information and establish actionable next steps uh, to refine the understanding of seismic risk, to leverage opportunities for funding, uh, to start uh, pro the process to design and develop construction projects to mitigate the risks in the southern waterfront. Um, and Unlike uh, the northern waterfront where the seawall is, the southern waterfront is much less complex in terms of the city infrastructure that's adjacent to the facilities and the shoreline, as well as uh, life safety hazards to the public. Um, this means that while the um, Embarcadero waterfront required an MHRA study uh, assessment to prioritize and select projects, in the southern waterfront, uh, we can move directly to facility-specific analyses and move more quickly towards risk mitigation projects. Um, and with that, I'll let uh, Matt Wickens uh, fill in the details for you. Thank you, Rod. Good afternoon, Vice President Brandon, Commissioners, Director Forbes. I'm uh, Matt Wickens. I'm a project manager with the Waterfront Resilience Program. I spent a lot of my time on the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers flood study, but I'm honored to be able to contribute to this foundational effort understanding seismic risk um, in the southern waterfront. And with that, I'm going to jump into a bit of our understanding that we developed as uh, an outcome of this study. You'll see on the screen here um, a colorful waterfront. The colored segments indicate what the waterfront, where the waterfront is today. The dashed line is an indication of what the waterfront was 150, 200 years ago. So that dashed line is the original shoreline. Where those two lines are closer together is generally where that waterfront started to take shape. So where it's close together at Crane Cove Park, the former Union Ironworks, that was taking shape around the turn of the 19th century, building its way north out towards Piers 50 and 48 uh, that share a construction type similar to the Embarcadero Seawall. In the late 1900s, big maritime um, developments started to take shape. Piers 80, Piers 94, 96, um, and you'll see there, they're all following a similar construction type. That green line is indicative of a sand dike sort of construction type. And by categorizing these segments of shoreline in this very general way, we're able to start to develop a picture of hazards and vulnerabilities. 
so with that a bit of the assessment findings you'll notice where that green line was along the edges of piers 80 94 96 um, that all shared that sand dike construction type this initial study found that those areas have a high hazard for <coughs> potential liquefaction and lateral spreading um, as a result of a major yet rare earthquake so linking back to the pictures that Rod showed those are the sort of damages after a large earthquake additionally pier 50 is a very unique structure there's actually a rock out at the end of that pier which is unique for our waterfront because of that it makes it very complex to confidently assess the behavior in an earthquake without a detailed analysis and finally just wanted to point out that there's several areas along our waterfront that are being redeveloped outlined in the dashed blue those areas are taking care of the seismic hazards and vulnerabilities within those segments that's part of their design so with this understanding we want to then move the ball forward we want to identify projects for implementation you'll hear a little bit about what those projects are this is really foundational for all of our planning efforts um, for the future we're going to use this study to then inform and identify and target funding potential opportunities which you'll hear about in those identified projects the first one I want to call out as I mentioned Pier 50 a very unique structure with a potential of lateral spreading at the shoreline with potential uh, damages along that dashed line because of the differential movement of the two structures but it's an important facility for the port for our maintenance division and for the city's emergency response having deep draft vessel capability out there at the end so as part of the next steps the port budget capital budget 23-24 or sorry 22-23 has allocated approximately three million dollars to advance our understanding of seismic performance at this facility that includes a detailed condition assessment additional earthquake assessment as well as developing a conceptual retrofit strategy what that would allow us to do is then go and seek additional funding at the state or federal level since we have a better picture of what it's going to take to mitigate those risks the next facility is pier 80 this is a capital improvement project that is informed by our understanding of seismic hazards and vulnerabilities so this is another facility that's not only important to the port maritime commerce it also has a PUC infrastructure that runs right along the southern border there that yellow line is the outfall pipe from the southeast treatment plant that pipe is critical to passing treated waste out to the bay and it happens to fall within the vulnerable zone of this facility so as a result of this study we've been working with PUC informing them of this vulnerability and we want to continue to partner and figure out how we can solve these problems together and just mentioning the capital improvement projects here in 22-23 budget includes a mooring point and fendering project for about nine and a half million dollars that includes construction design and construction that'll be informed by our understanding of seismic hazards as well as a subsidence rehab project I'm sure the Commission here has heard of Lake 80 and potential drainage issues down there um, this project is intended to uh, rehab and fix some of those so again 
our understanding and development of seismic hazards will be leveraged to pursue additional state and federal funding. And one big place we're looking to is the port infrastructure development program uh, for potential funding. Finally, Pier 94-96. Again, this is not only critical to the port, but very critical to the city's disaster response capabilities. It was highlighted in a disaster response exercise that was held in the middle of the pandemic um, as a result of our multi-hazard risk assessment and including the preliminary findings of this southern waterfront assessment to work with 40 plus uh, different regional emergency response partners and as a result of the findings of that exercise that really reiterated the critical importance of this facility to San Francisco's ability to react and recover following an earthquake we've been able to pursue a FEMA grant for hazard mitigation and that grant right now has made it through the state. It's on its way with the federal government, not awarded yet, but it's on the order of three and a half million dollars to then advance our understanding of seismic performance and work through conceptual retrofit strategy, setting us up for future grant opportunities uh, within that same program or other programs. So quick summary, three facilities, uh, about $13 million out of port capital budget, $3.5 million um, of grant applications in awaiting award, hopefully fall uh, 2022 is the year we know. But what I really wanted to highlight here is the scale of construction funding that's required to fully mitigate the seismic risks. This is a big stretch of shoreline. These are expensive problems, the tune of over $100 million per facility potentially. But with that, provides a substantial opportunity to infuse capital into these aging facilities that are nearing the end of their useful life and evolving with the changing maritime needs. So pairing what we want the waterfront to be 100 years from now with the risks, with the investments that are made to mitigate those risks. And in summary, this is an initial assessment. It was really, as Rod mentioned, the first comprehensive assessment on the southern waterfront to understand the hazards and vulnerabilities. We're going to incorporate these findings into the work we're doing with the Army Corps of Engineers and the flood study, as well as other efforts around the port. Continue to work closely with long-term tenants and the advisory uh, committees. Been meeting with several of those the last few weeks. And then use port capital to advance projects where we can that then tees up and allows us to take advantage of grant opportunities and then really fold this into the community dialogue as we advance the adaptation strategies, the resilience program work um, in this segment of Shoreline, and finally reporting back to the commission as grants are awarded. And with that, I will take questions. Thank you, Rod and Matt. Great presentation. Now let's open it up for public comment. Is there any public comment in the room? Seeing none, Jennifer will provide instructions now for our remote participants. Thank you, Vice President Brandon. At this time, we will open the queue for anyone on the phone who would like to make public comment on item 9A. Please dial star 3 if you wish to make public comment. The system will let you know when your line is open. Others will wait on mute until their line is open. Comments will be limited to three minutes per person. The queue is now open. Please dial star three if you wish to make public comment.
At this time, there are no members of the public on the phone wishing to make public comment on this item. Thank you, Danica. Public comment is closed. Commissioner Lee? Uh, question, you know, this is huge, obviously. Um, and these estimates that you come up with, um, how long does it take to, I mean, over the years, we're talking about 20 years, this is a program that's gonna be going on for obviously when money comes in, but then you know how inflation and labor and all that changes, you know? Is this something that, this, is there some kind of time frame that things, obviously before the next earthquake, but you know, I'm just curious, like, you know? <laughs> so, so I think the estimates given right now, and especially in terms of when I mentioned that $100 million number per facility, that's a rough order of magnitude. It's right. not a locked in price or anything. Um, so that would be today's dollars, and really it would take much more oh, development of the strategy to really get closer to a dollar figure. So it could it could possibly go up it another could go up, could 20 more down. percent or whatever. We, we typically work with a negative 50 plus 100 uh, range. So that'd be 50 million up to 200 million. I see. So... So there is some kind of um, timeline, I mean, when you do these estimates. I'm just curious how you come up with numbers. I, I think I can help. Oh, sure. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, Commissioner League, excellent question. So we're at the point of doing the assessment and analysis work, really just to understand what um, what uh, the existing conditions are and what kinds of improvements are right. needed. So the rough order of magnitude estimate that engineering has provided is in current dollars. Um, how we will proce proceed from this point, as Matt described, is to get additional funding from state, federal, or our own sources to dig even deeper into that analysis and also to couple what we're learning with maritime business opportunities. Uh, so our maritime division is working on blue-green technologies and ways in which to um, make greener and make more durable the existing maritime operations we have and attract new business. So what we're doing is we're getting the information we need to understand the vulnerabilities of the southern waterfront, understand those seismic risks, continue to attract federal, state, and our own dollars uh, to f make more um, fine-tune the estimates and approach. One thing that Matt said is, what is the maritime today and what is the maritime of the future in right. terms of these marine terminals and what we'll need in deep water berths and infrastructure, et cetera. Uh, so I didn't want you to hold on to that $100 million yeah. and have yeah, us tell you when we'll spend it because exactly. that will change. That okay. will change. Yeah, that's what I'm getting at. I mean, it could be 20% more. Who knows, right, when you ever start. And I did forget to mention, there may be some more targeted sort of strategies that don't require fully mitigating all the risks. I see. Okay, thank you. Commissioner Burton? No questions. Commissioner Gilman? Um, Ron and Matt, thank you so much for this important report. Um, and um, just wanted to comment how important I think this is and also how fortunate we are that we have both, you know, Pierce 40 and 7072 that are being taken care of through development, and it, I guess it doesn't seem like it's likely, but if there's any way we can move these other parcels through some sort of, you know, private-public partnership or a way to really solidify um, 
those positions so that they are not as much of a risk because I think we, you know, no one knew we'd live through a worldwide pandemic in our lifetimes and it's very likely um, that um, in our lifetimes we, we will see a major, major, you know, seismic event. So um, I really appreciate your diligence and doing these studies and moving and us having the ability with the capital budget we have to do more due diligence to find out how we can position these assets well. So thank you so much for your report. Thank you again, uh, Rod and Matt. Uh, thank you so much for this report and the assessment that has been done. I think it's wonderful that we're collaborating with the Army Corps and we're looking at seismic and sea level at the same time, so hopefully we can use our funds wisely. And I think that the port has done a phenomenal job in seeking outside funds, local, state, and federal. And so I know that you will be able to find the funds to, <laughs> over time, upgrade these facilities. And um, when uh, Director Fords mentioned blue-green technology, I thought about the blue-green way. So as we're doing these assessments, can we look at how to connect the blue-green way throughout um, the southern waterfront so that... Um, some way, somehow, everybody can enjoy the beautiful waterfront that we have. And I look forward to you guys coming back. So the next steps are, now that the assessment is done. Um, sure. Um, so I think the next steps are um, to look at Pier 50, the capital, the capital project, um, condition assessment, and then hopefully conceptual design of uh, retrofits or strengthening to improve the performance of the, of the facility. Uh, Pier 80, we are looking at, uh, we I think we're almost under contract to look at our um, subsidence issue and also I think the um, fendering and mooring point project is, is underway already. We've, we've started our basis of design and at Pier's 94, 96, I think we are just waiting to hear back about the grant. Um, that grant allows us to move forward with the conceptual design, but also more importantly allows us to do the geotechnical exploration. I don't think we mentioned that all of this work has been done with existing data. And some of it was okay, some of it was not. Um, but getting better data for specific, you know, the specific area at 94, 96 is going to be quite a help in, in moving the project and the design forward. Thank you. Commissioner yep. Burton. Well, not for nothing, but my experience with earthquakes is at the state capitol, and we found is we remodel it once, and we're doing it again. The more you study it, the more bad stuff you find. <laughs> so, I mean... Um, um, as I say, not for nothing, but yeah, uh, thank you for the, the more we look into it, the more <laughs> trouble, the, the more the cost. So, you, you know, it's the history. That's my contribution. Okay, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I think the answer is that's true. <laughs> yeah. And it is definitely something we considered in scoping this study because we didn't want to get paralyzed in analysis. Thank you so much. I look forward to 
hearing more about this. Thank you. Carl, next item, please. Item 10A is an informational presentation regarding the progress on the Waterfront Resilience Program early projects. Uh, good afternoon, Vice President Brandon and Commissioners. I'm Mike Martin. I'm the Assistant Port Director. Um, pitch hitting for our Resilience Director, Brad Benson, today, who's actually dropping his eldest daughter off at college. Um, so, but I'm happy to, to speak today because um, uh, at I've been able to work more closely over the past, I'd say, year in trying to help with the resilience program sort of as it works through two timescales. And I wanted to talk a little bit about those timescales to frame this item. It sort of reaches back to the item before this one as well. So there's sort of the, we have the risk of earthquakes now, as we heard on the item we just talked about, but we also have our work with the Army Corps study looking at what is going to be our ability to adapt the waterfront to protect San Francisco over the decades, over the rest of the century? And as you might imagine, that is a challengingly complex world to live in where you're trying to fix some vulnerabilities in the near term, but also trying to roll up to a successful long-term strategy that, by the way, we haven't quite found out yet. And so we need to march all of these things closer together so today, you're hearing a lot about what is our near-term move, what are our near-term moves to deal with these vulnerabilities and how are we going to find dollars to be able to help us do those things. This next item is going to talk about the early projects we've identified in the Embarcadero that we can use Prop A dollars for. But we know we don't have enough dollars to do all of the, pro the Embarcadero seismic projects. But all of this is a preview for next month. We're going to bring to you uh, the first look at the adaptation strategies waterfront-wide for the Army Corps. And I think what we want to hold everybody's heads on as we talk with this group, I mean, we're clearly going to be going to talk to the community who will have, I think, a bigger learning curve to ascend. But for, the, for you, the commission, and for us as staff, I think we want you to understand and help us see where these near-term actions are going to roll up to that broader strategy and hopefully set us up for that future fundraising, whether it be from the state government, be the federal government, be the, be the taxpayers of San Francisco, be our private partners. And so I think we just have to continue to have that cohesive look at both the short term and the long term to be really effective at the, at the really large task we have in front of us. I'm really impressed with the work we've done so far. I'm excited to, to roll it out further and have this policy dialogue with you over the coming year. Um, but today I think is going to be a helpful look at some of the specifics as we really drill down on um, these early projects that I think are sort of another step forward in detail from what you just saw on the southern waterfront. So with that, I'll hand it off to Stephen Reel to take you through the slides. Thanks for that introduction, Mike, and that great framing. Good afternoon, Vice President Adams, or Vice President Brandon, Commissioners, Executive Director Forbes, uh, staff, and members of the public. My name is Stephen Reel. I'm the Waterfront's Resilience Program, Deputy Program Manager for Engineering and Project Delivery. I am thrilled to be in this room again and to provide you this informational update of all of the great work the team has done on the Embarcadero Early Projects. The Embarcadero Waterfront Resilience Program is focused on reducing earthquake and flood risks waterfront-wide along the seven and a half miles of the port. Today, we're, as Mike mentioned, we're focused on the early projects within the Embarcadero stretch. Earlier today, just before this, you heard the update on the southern waterfront. 
earthquake assessment, and next month you'll hear the update on the waterfront-wide adaptation strategies. But today we're focused on the early projects, and I go over our development process on the early <laughs> projects. We have three main goals with early projects. Identify implementable projects, reduce earthquake risk with a focus on safety and disaster response capability, and reduce near-term flood risk while considering later adaptation. Last December, we updated the commission on the planning level identification and evaluation of the 23 Embarcadero early projects and our intention to move projects into pre-design. Today I'm going to provide an update on six of the projects. Those projects are working from uh, the north to south on the screen. The Wharf J9 replacement and Brazilian shoreline project, the Pier 15 bulkhead wall and wharf earthquake safety project, the Pier 9 bulkhead wall earthquake safety project, the Ferry Building Seawall and Substructure Earthquake Reliability Project, the Piers 5 through 22 and a half Near-Term Coastal Flood Risk Reduction Project, and the Pier 24 and a half through 28 and a half Bulkhead Wall and Wharf Earthquake Safety Project. The Waterfront Resilience Program has adopted a project development process with five main steps, planning, pre-design, detailed design, construction, and closeout, these six projects have completed the first step in our pre-design process, which is called needs assessment. Needs assessment develops the aligned project vision that includes a broad list of problems and opportunities, a refined list of project-specific objectives and constraints, the initial brainstorming of ideas and development and evaluation of a broad range of alternatives, and a recommendation on alternatives to move to alternatives analysis. Alternatives analysis are, is our next step, followed by conceptual engineering. Uh, these steps in pre-design result in a chosen project alternative, a baseline scope, budget, and schedule, and the delivery method for the project. So on to the projects. Wharf J9 is a timber wharf and bulkhead located on the outer lagoon of Fisherman's Wharf. It's in poor condition, currently closed to the public. And there's some erosion occurring behind the bulkhead. The seawall here has a high risk of earthquake lateral spreading that will impact the adjacent seawall lot. Flood risk from sea level rise is emerging. However, the breakwater protects the harbor from waves, providing some more time. Project objectives are to replace the wharf and seawall with a resilient structure to protect the shoreline in earthquakes and help defend Fisherman's Wharf from sea level rise. To increase disaster response capability by providing ADA accessible berths that are functional after earthquakes, along with better fireboat access to the emergency fire water system hydrant, and to revitalize the area connecting residents and visitors to the working fishing industry. And we heard the presentation earlier about the crab boat sales and the success there and the connection with residents. While the project started off focused on J9, needs assessment expanded the project to include earthquake vulnerable portion of the seawall along Alscoma Way and a small section of Jefferson Street. Alternatives include both pile supported 
and solid wharf options, increased elevation for flood protection now, along with the foundation for adaptability in the future, and reconfigured and ADA accessible berths for the fishing industry. Moving on, the next project is Pier 15, Bulkhead Wall and Wharf Earthquake Safety Project. Pier 15 is home to the Exploratorium. It is a rehabilitated and seismically strengthened historic finger pier and a draw for waterfront activity. The deep water berths are important for disaster response. The pier is on the edge of Yerba Cove and has high seawall earthquake risk from thick bay muds that impacts the bulkhead wharf zone. Sea level rise is an emerging threat, but not immediate here. Project objectives include improving earthquake safety by retrofitting the bulkhead wall and substructure to reduce damage and risk of collapse, providing reliable access across the seawall for use of the berths in earthquake disaster response, We'll note that during, due to the difficulty of fixing the bay muds here, we expect that major seawall improvements will be part of later sea level rise adaptation. And of course, we want to keep the exploratorium open during construction. Draft project alternatives include substructure retrofits uh, in the bulkhead wharf zone, strengthening the bulkhead wall, wrapping the piles, improving the pile and wall deck connections, to take that movement of the seawall. Alternative two includes widening the existing seismic joint to provide more room for that movement towards the bay, in addition to the alternative one retrofits. And then a third alternative is what we call the spider frame, where we're looking at new piles and substructure girders. This is less likely to be an alternative for this project, but you'll see more of this in the, in the next project. And the next project is the adjacent wharf, Pier 9. It's the Pier 9 bulkhead wall and wharf earthquake safety retrofit project. Pier 9 is an historic finger pier housing diverse businesses and maritime offices, including the San Francisco Bar Pilots and WIDA. There are deep water berths and maritime offices that are important for disaster response logistics. There's high seawall earthquake risk here, which impacts the bulkhead. And sea level rise risk, again, is emerging. And the project objectives are similar to uh, Pier 15 in improving the earthquake safety by retrofitting the bulkhead wall and wharf, uh, provide that reliable access across the seawall in earthquakes to, to use those berths. Um, again, the deep bay muds here make a major seawall fix, something that we think is part of later adaptation. And here, this, this wharf is original, appears original. And we really need to consider the substructure deterioration in the alternatives uh, and include a shed retrofit project as a, as a separate project. The alternatives are similar uh, at Pier 15. I'll note on this one that there is no seismic joint. So we, alternative two includes adding a seismic joint. And alternative three, the spider frame where we put in new piles and substructure girders. Uh, is a more viable alternative due to the existing deterioration here. And um, this type of investment, we would look to um, ensure that it is jackable for future sea level rise. So it's an investment that we could build upon. 
The next, pro next project is here, the Ferry Building Seawall and Substructure Earthquake Reliability Project. Um, it's the iconic ferry building, restored and retrofitted in 2003, still supported by the original 127-year-old seawall and substructure. It's the center of public activity and transit on the Embarcadero. Waterside ferry berths and staging areas are critical for disaster response. Matt Wickens mentioned the disaster response exercise earlier. That exercise pointed to this area as the most critical spot along the Embarcadero. Um, it has high seawall earthquake risk, very thick bay muds. That seawall earthquake risk impacts safety and disaster response capability, being able to use the berths. And it has high sea level rise risk in this area. It's the former Yerba Cove. It's settled more than two feet. And we have a separate project, which I'll talk about next, which is dealing with sea level rise. Our objectives here improve earthquake safety by strengthening the substructure of the seawall and the ferry building, provide reliable earthquake disaster response for ferry berths and staging areas by strengthening the seawall and the surrounding structures. And I'll focus on that reliable performance. That's, that's key. When the first responders do not want to worry that they can't come here and use this area after a major earthquake. Uh, we, want, we want to take advantage of opportunities, improve the waterside public realm, the reliability of utility services, and the, the near-term flood defenses. We want to minimize construction impacts to this area that's highly active and coming back from COVID. Um, and we need to focus on the long-term adaptation plan here and consider these initial investments as steps on that path. This, the ferry building area is among the most complex areas of the waterfront to improve. This map shows all of the different structures out here when they were built. Um, there's 100-foot thick bay muds here. Um, the structures date from 1889. The 240-foot tall clock tower sits right on the seawall, and the BART tunnel goes right underneath the building, just right over there. Um, substantial investment is really uh, likely needed here to achieve our performance objectives in an earthquake, particularly that reliable earthquake performance. Uh, and so the teams developed an initial seismic measures toolkit. There are over 20 measures. They've combined them into eight different draft project alternatives um, that range from small to very large types of investments. And we really need to move into detailed um, you know, state-of-the-art engineering analysis to inform which of those uh, alternatives are really needed to unlock those, those performance objectives. Moving on to the next project, it's the Pier 5 to 22.5 near-term coastal flood risk reduction project, also known as Yerba Buena Cove. Um, this is where the original shoreline went very far back, almost to the Transamerica Pyramid. It's the most at-risk segment of the Embarcadero for sea level rise. Portions overtopped during king tides today. Salt water's already damaging the promenade and the railings. Um, without action soon, sea level rise is projected to cause regular shutdowns and flood damages, including Muni and Bart's underground systems. The Muni portal is very is at the edge of the 100-year flood today, and that area is flat. 
due to the thick bay muds here in particular earthquake stability of the seawall again is a longer term goal so our objectives are to reduce that near-term flood risk uh, to the multimodal transit corridor BART and Muni and the historic resources while the longer term uh, strategies are developed for the area we need to balance the near-term flood risk reduction with the larger adaptation moves and the, and the near-term investments, just what right, what's the right level of investment. We want to maintain a high-quality public realm. We want to fix flood damage and explore habitat enhancements in this area, including the living seawall, which the pilot is underway for right now. Uh, we're looking to partner with SFPUC on this to include the stormwater management improvements that are also necessary as we raise the coastal defenses. Uh, BART is also uh, a partner uh, on this project. And we need to consider the deteriorated con conditions here of the bulkhead and the substructures and the investments that we might put on top. I'll note that this project, we think, is an excellent project for a FEMA brick opportunity. And we're looking at potentially submitting this project in this go-around. The, the project is a long stretch. Um, and the zone from piers five through one, there's a little bit more time. Um, the zone around the ferry building, we really think we need to coordinate with the seismic project as well. We're not going to have two construction projects out here. We're going to have one project here. Uh, and zone three, just um, south of the, the ferry building, ag building, is really the most at risk today, and that's where the railing is failing. And so that might be our, our first priority. Uh, and then finally, the Pier 24.5 to 28.5 bulkhead wall and wharf earthquake safety retrofit project. Uh, this is a 900-foot-long stretch of original wharves and piers that have a very tall concrete bulkhead wall. The wall and wharf support much of the promenade. There are better soils here and lower earthquake lateral spreading hazard, which is a really good thing. But there's still high earthquake risk um, due to these structural vulnerabilities in the tall wall. Sea level rise flood risk is emerging here. However, this area is generally higher because of the better soils. That's why the bridge was built over there. Uh, objectives, improve earthquake safety in the bulkhead zone and promenade by reducing that risk of collapse in an earthquake. We need to consider the age, condition, and rehabilitation needs here. These structures are in pretty advanced age and deteriorated conditions. Um, we need to include simple retrofits that prevent that collapse risk along with full replacement alternatives. And the full replacement alternatives would need to be adaptable for sea level rise. And we need to consider utility needs and the adjacent piers 3032 and 38 and 40 development projects. Alternatives include simple retrofits um, to replacements, as I mentioned. Um, and then alternative four is really reinforcing the bulkhead wall in a more significant way, much more expensive alternative um, that if our line of defense remains here, this is the type of thing we, that, that is a future that we could build on and that might have some synergy with peers 3032 and 38 and 40. That was a whirlwind tour of six projects. Uh, thanks for sticking with me. Next steps. We're going to advance uh, 
these projects into alternatives analysis. Um, we are, as Director Forbes mentioned in her introduction remarks, we're really focused on first construction in 2024. That's likely to come from one of these projects. I uh, will continue to coordinate pre-design of early projects with the development of adaptation strategies, which you'll hear about next month. Um, we continue to seek additional funding opportunities uh, to advance more Embarcadero early projects. We've identified more projects than we have current funding. We're quite hopeful about this FEMA brick opportunity this year. Um, and we'll, we'll be back to update the commission regularly on our progress. And with that, I conclude my presentation. I'm available for questions. Thank you. Thank you, Mike and Stephen. Great report. A lot of work has been done. Now let's open it up for public comment. Is there any public comment in the room? We do have Diane Walton. Diane? Greetings to the commissioners. The, uh, my name is Diane Walton. I'm here today on behalf of the Dolphin Club and item 10A, mostly to express gratitude. Gratitude first to Mike Martin for initially opening our eyes to the immense, immense work that you're doing and, and the piece that we might play in it. And then to Diane Oshima for the follow-up work that she's been doing with us on the waterfront plan. We were so interested in being a, as swimmers, as rowers, as paddlers, as in-water recreation users. Um, we're so interested in a little bit more visibility in your plan and a little bit more responsibility toward it. We've um, talked to Diane and others about participating more in your um, advisory committees. We've talked to her about our interest in the impact of the work and, and wanting the plan to serve as a heads up so that people who want to do projects here um, know that we're out there in the water. So thank you for everything you've done so far and we're um, sticking with you. Thank you. I just for clarification, was that on 11A? Yes. Okay. Okay, we'll save those comments for the next item. <laughs> Is there any other public comment in the room? If not, Jenica will provide instructions now for our remote callers. Oh, boy. Thank you, Vice President Brandon. At this time, we will open the queue for anyone on the phone who would like to make public comment on item 10A. Please dial star three if you wish to make public comment. The system will let you know when your line is open. Others will wait on mute until their line is open. Comments will be limited to three minutes per person. The queue is now open. Please dial star three if you wish to make public comment. At this time, there are no members of the public on the phone wishing to make public comment. Thank you, Tanika. Public comment is closed. Commissioner Burton? Um, good luck. Uh, <laughs> I listened to, as uh, a kid, on Saturdays and Sundays, about this time in the afternoon, story of San Francisco when the, I forget when the waterfront came up to Montgomery Street. 
and so that everything, in theory, from Montgomery Street going towards the bay, you know, it's built on silt or built on something. Um, I guess it's too too early, but one of your tasks is going to be to prioritize either what's the quickest or the easiest or the least expensive. Uh, how are you going to deal with this? <laughs> I mean, I know it's time for, an, for, for another meeting and possibly another commission, but uh, it, it just seems... For the one of a better thing, we're almost on shaky ground. You're you're exactly right. It's a it's a massive problem. The, the fill, the aging, piers and wharfs, and the way they were built, our market era multi-hazard risk assessment gave us a great foundation of knowledge what the risk is uh, for how to move ahead. We did some initial. Um, you know, evaluation of seismic measures in different areas and things and found out there's no, there's no easy fixes, there's no quick and easy fixes. That led us to the Embarcadero early projects and that list we revealed last year in December at the same time with sea level rise coming. You know, we're rec recognizing that monumental change is needed and so we're pursuing that as well. And so we're approaching it in a multi multi-pronged effort. I think it's it's very encouraging that we are developing solutions that we think we can implement soon that can make a real difference. And that's a start. And just one other thing, and I don't know the, the relevance, but have we tied in what we're doing with the city in, in I guess, the permits they issue on in the planning department that uh, they ought to be a little bit leery with approving a lot of this stuff that has been approved with buildings going up to the sky that uh, somehow that they're on again and, and not to use a pun but you know shake that what what we're doing can show them that they're kind of on shaky ground if they keep building, uh, permitting, whether, whether, you know, tall, medium size or stuff that's right off the bridge. And, it, you know, I'm an old man, so I'll be gone, but it kind of scares the hell out of me is that we're trying to protect this part. And in the meantime, the city might be approving projects that can lead to making this more difficult uh, and more hazardous. and. I don't know whether we talk to them or whether they'd care what we say, but I just see it, uh, a potential. The higher stuff gets close to the bay, uh, the more I'm happy I'm living on rock at Patrell Hill. <laughs> Thank you, Madam Chair. We are engaged with all of our city partners. We are focused on the waterfront, so I can't comment about when we get off of the waterfront. We've shared our data with all of our partners, uh, especially for their, that have infrastructure in this area. Um, and is one, of the, one of the key messages is that 
in a big earthquake, the Embarcadero Corridor is going to be necessary to get around because streets downtown will be closed or potentially closed. But are, are we, I, I know that uh, we can't, are we sharing this information with the city planning department just so they know and maybe some of them don't realize there, there's a hell of a lot of mud down there and like I say, I mean, I remember it since I'm like 15 years old when the water came up to Montgomery Street. And, and when I see this stuff that's being approved by the city, I think that's great. It's none of our business. It's a great view. But all of a sudden, at some point, what we do impacts them, or, or more importantly, because we've got some control over stuff. But what they do, in, in, you know, has an impact us, and I know we can't do anything, but I think it's really nice sometimes as city agencies talk to each other and say, here's what we found here, and if you give given, th given thought, that's all, because, uh, you know, God willing, nothing bad's going to happen, but he or she operates in weird, weird ways. Thank you, Madam Chair. You're welcome. If I'm not mistaken, we have a citywide working group with this project, right? We do. We do. So and we it's are the collaboration it. with the city families is incredibly encouraging. Great. So. Thank you. Commissioner Gilman? Thank you so much for this detailed report. I just had a couple of questions, mostly around um, next steps. So sort of going back to something that um, Commissioner Burton um, mentioned, how will you be making decisions? Let's go back to Wharf J9 as an illustrative example. How would you make a determination between alternative one through five of which one we um, would want to execute on? That gets developed during alternatives analysis, so the next phase. So we develop the project objectives, and those are what form a basis of decision making on the project. And then there's the waterfront wide resilience program lens that is looking at distributing funding uh, from bond A and other sources. And so that those two will play a role in the selection of the alternative and whether or not there's a recommendation to move to detailed design and construction. But that's, that's to come later. Oh, okay. Um. And you probably have, and I apologize that I just don't remember. I mean, um, I mean, this work is so critically important, and it's also incredibly detailed. And you're living and breathing it every day, and we get these glimpses at the commission. It would just be great to maybe understand a little more what those factors are. Um, be, I mean, just because there's, a, I'm using this one just because there was the most alternatives listed in what you gave us. That's yep. what I'm using it as, as the illustrative example. There's a huge difference between just doing work J9 and doing J9 Scoma Way and Jefferson Street. And so I, I would hope that cost would just be one factor, but also more the long game of if we don't do Scoma and Jefferson Street, you might have to come back 15 years from now or 20 years from now. And so I'm hoping that's part of the cost benefit analysis that you're doing. Exactly. And you know, we identified Jefferson and that little piece of original seawall. Um, you know, those, those are going to need investment. 
whether this is the right time with this project or not is a question that still remains to be answered. Okay, and so you'd be using that methodology for all of the ones you showed us since they all had different alternatives. Yes, yes. Okay. And my only other question, which if you may not be able to answer, and that's fine, I was just more curious. Why wasn't, I'm a little surprised the amount of work we need to do here at the ferry building and along this stretch of the Embarcadero. Why was that not part of the development in the retrofit in 03? We're learning uh, much more about seismic and earthquake risk. Um, so part of the challenge is we are sh on shaky ground. We're on filled land. Um, and as we we understood we needed to adapt to sea level rise, you need absolutely stable foundation to do so. Uh, so this work is a revealing um, typology of the young bay mud and the fill and how it will respond in an earthquake that is far above and beyond what was available when these various, when the ferry building was reconstructed. This is true for our Pier 1 reconstruction, the Exploratorium, and a lot of investments along the waterfront that responded to the seismic code of the time and did their detailed engineering, but this is just a much more complex understanding of how the soils will perform uh, that we performed in order to uh, target investments for safety and to figure out our plan to adapt to sea level rise. Stephen, are there other things to add? I think you summed it up pretty well. Thank okay. you. Oh, boy. And, no, and thank you. I really, I really do appreciate that. It shows how much can shift in 20 years in our understanding of what we need to do, which is why I, I appreciate the forward thinking for what 20 years from now, after we invest all these funds and do all these projects, another commission up here um, will, you know, hopefully not be wringing their hands that we didn't do more. Um, my only other question about the ferry building work in particular is, um, is this solely a, a, um, a public investment or um, does our leaseholder, which I think they still have, what, 25 years more on their lease, um, are they a private partner with us on solving this problem and putting funds towards it? Too soon to answer that question. The, the ferry building lease has a fairly long um, tail to it. I don't know if anyone, I think it's in the 30-year frame, lower, Mike knows. Uh, you were probably right in your answer. Um, many of these projects are just far above and beyond in cost than what our private partners can pay. So our ferry building partner is still, we're still reimbursing for the infrastructure uh, that went into making this, uh, this rehabilitation happen. Um, we are looking at ways in which we can leverage lease amendments as a, a way to improve and invest in part of the project. Um, it would be a part yeah, if we're course. able to do so. Uh, there's other opportunities um, with longer term lease like at Pier 39 uh, where we're engaged in conversations about how the lease amendment and investment plans can fit right into our resiliency programs. Okay. But it is definitely a strategy and I thank you for bringing up the, that issue. Mike. I just wanted to add one thing um, that um, aside from the cost of the eventual project, the ferry build building and Hudson Pacific have been a good partner to us. They have actually retained engineering expertise to have these discussions, which are hard discussions to have for an mm -hmm. asset that they purchased very recently. Um, and so we're continuing to talk with them. I think they'll definitely have to play a part with us in collaborating on whatever we do. And then when we have a better idea of what the dollars and the numbers are, 
I think that's when that conversation comes into play and, and what, what their business goals are. Do they have a, do they have ambitions to be with the ferry building into the next generation of its mm -hmm. life? So I just wanted to add that they, they very much have worked with us on this. That's and great. so this isn't sort of uh, us dropping news on them. And so um, I think it's been a really good collaboration and I hope it continues. No, thank you. And by no means did I think that it would all be on our private partner, but you know, I do want to promote as much as possible because the dollar amount and the cost for the public from a public perspective is so large that if there's ways we can do public-private partnerships to expedite some of this work, um, I, I just think we should be pursuing that at every opportunity. So th thank you so much. Absolutely, and I just want to add that is such an important comment because this program is very costly and will take a long time to deliver, and so our strategies cannot rely just on general obligation bonds for sure or even general obligation bonds federal partnerships through the Army Corps of Engineers and state funding, we absolutely need to look at our public-private partnerships and our partnerships with leases to, to share in the freight of these costs. So thank you for bringing that up. And that is part of our strategy, but we, have, we need to continue to build that out uh, to see how we're going to afford this work. Madam Chair? Yes, Commissioner Burton. Well, I have two things. I hope I remember the second. <laughs> They're working with us. Were you how? They have their engineers uh, working together with us in collaboration review meetings. So they've helped us with understanding the substructure, existing documentation. Their engineers are apprised of what our engineers are finding, and they, they are providing <coughs> and some so, review. So I mean, basically. They can say, "Well, have you thought, have you thought of this, or have you looked at that aspect?" Yes, uh, and there, and I need to be specific. They're working from Hudson Pacific's perspective, right? So they have Hudson Pacific's interests in mind. You know, our consultants and our staff are working from the port and public perspective on this. I understand that, and not surprisingly, I might have forgot the oh. Is there a consideration, and as a former legislator, I don't really like it, but as far as the ferry building and tenants itself, uh, take a look at the possibility of revenue bonds, because there is a source of revenue. I mean, all that does is avoid a public vote. It probably costs a little bit more, but. Sometimes uh, I've seen it work to the advantage, and other times not. So I'm just throwing that one out there. Uh, thank, thank you, and thank you, Madam Chair. Thank you. Thank you. Are you done? I, I, I just had just one more thing. Sorry, because it wasn't not in the report, but I, so I, but I am making the assumption that once we whittle down these projects and don't have five iterations, one or two, we will be taking them to the public and to advisory groups to weigh in and get their feedback. Yes. Okay. Yes. Thank in you fact, very much. I mean, our public engagement has been consistent throughout the program. We've been engaged regularly. And in fact, this next week, there's a walking tour uh, in this area to talk about the early projects. That's wonderful. Thank you so much. Commissioner Burton, do you want to say something? No, I'm <laughs> Commissioner Lee. Be troubled. Um, man. 
what I get myself into. <laughs> Welcome to the club. <laughs> I know, really. uh, the only comment I have is uh, when you, all these assessments and things obviously takes time and, uh, and you know, being in business obviously, that time kills you. So 100 million might be 120 million when you're ready to go. I think uh, we have to think about not just that target, but above that and get extra however we raise it. And the thing is, when I'm, I'm thinking about prioritizing, I was, I was, uh, I had a business downtown under the Transamerica Pyramid in the 89 earthquake. And I see all the windows falling down, the bridge broken, and people rushing to the port to get home to ferry service taxi. And I would think that the priority within the next so many years would be to make sure our terminals are working rather than fixing somewhere down by Jefferson Street. You know, if we only have a certain amount of money and the um, nonprofits or all the public who really care about the ports, the rowers and everybody can talk to their state legislator and say, hey, look, you know, we need a little bit more money or their, their you know, federal partners in FEMA or something. Because I, I found that there was a lot of stranded people in 89. And I think if we focus on making sure that this part right here is still standing, it's most important. So that's the only comment I have because this thing is huge and I'll do whatever I can to try to call people, but. <laughs> um, yeah, $15 on every drink. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> We're gonna have a big fundraiser. Thank you, Commissioner Lee. Your, your firsthand experience in 89 is what was reconfirmed in our disaster response exercise. First responders focused in on this area and they prioritized reliability, high reliability. They don't want to have to worry. They yeah. want to come here and use the ferry system, bring in first responders and start moving people out of the city. Exactly, yeah. I mean, BART shut down, everybody was shut down. That, that day, it was an interesting day. Thank you so much. Stephen, thank you again for this report. A lot of work has been done and we have come a long way. And I think the commissioners have asked great questions and made great statements. And so I'm just wondering, when do we get to the point where we start prioritizing? When do we get to the point where we decide where we're actually gonna spend the funds first? You'll, you'll be doing that within the next year. And so... Uh, so within know, the next year, all of the needs assessments will be complete? Not all of the needs assessments will be complete. We've, you know, we have much more than we can afford. And we're looking at opportunities to bring in additional funding. And so we're looking at what we can leverage, right? What opportunities. But we need to move um, the majority of bond, A, projects forward soon and so we'll be making those decisions within the next year and as you'll see next month with the adaptation strategies the the bigger picture and the army corps flood study also play a role in in that decision making so as far as the commission is concerned when will we be at a point where you will get our input into what we think is a priority after all of the assessment has been done on these. So we have 23 
early projects identified and evaluated. Of those 23, we're doing needs assessments on 12? We have 12 that we, in December, recommended. Those are the ones that are specific to Bond Day. And so those are the ones we're focusing on right now? Yes, but we are also, folk. We, our strategy is to bring projects forward that can advance quickly. So prior to completing all the needs assessment reports and then making another step, we're targeting certain projects that, that can get into the ground and get built and start buying down our risk. And so Some are those are the projects you told us about today? Those are the ones that are ready and can start, may be able to start construction the, in 2024? I heard something about we may be starting a project in 2024. Yes. It is likely that that 2024 project will come from one of these six or multiple of these six. That's not the only bond A projects. I'm going to try to restate what you've said, Stephen, okay. and see if. Um, so in response to your question, what staff is proposing, they've identified the 23 projects, um, 12 of which we are advancing to early design construction. They've further winnowed down to the six you've seen today as um, the places where uh, we may be able to make early investment in our critical areas. The commission will be looking at the various alternatives and how to move forward on the projects and will be prioritizing funding uh, before we move uh, through the board of supervisors, et cetera, uh, for allocation of funds. Um, so. Within the year, Stephen says, uh, we'll be th they'll be back, we will be back on the six projects and making fine-tuned recommend recommendations on prioritization. And what Stephen is also saying is that we will not have a, a broad view of the 23 or the 12 at that point. So the team is biting off the, the amount of uh, bite-sized pieces that are can be accomplished to move toward construction so we can get the buy-down of risk in as early as possible for the voters uh, under Proposition A. Is that right? It is. Yes. Thank you. I really appreciate that. And I look forward to you coming back within the next year so we can see what the alternatives are and what funding you have amassed in that time. <laughs> Thank you. Carl, next item, please. Item 11A is an informational presentation on proposed revisions to the draft waterfront plan for public review. Good afternoon, Vice President Brandon, Port Commissioners, Director Forbes, and uh, welcome, Commissioner Lee. This is the first time I'm meeting you. I'm Diane Oshima. Uh, I was uh, the manager for the Planning and Environment Division. I'm working on a part-time basis now, uh, particularly on the waterfront plan uh, projects. So I'm very happy to be here today. Um, this uh, presentation will be about some draft changes to the waterfront plan, uh, the timeline for uh, where we're going on decision-making, giving you a little bit of background on the process that was, uh, the public process that was gone through for developing the plan, 
and uh, a public comment period for these proposed revisions for the public to review and submit comments by October 1st and the next steps that follow this work. So um, the draft waterfront plan is the port's master plan for uh, the land use and improvement of all of the port's properties along the seven and a half mile waterfront from Fisherman's Wharf to India Basin. It was um, re a response to a proposition that was approved uh, over 20 years ago. And in 1997, there was a master plan that was adopted then. Um, the port in 2016 created a public process to do a comprehensive update of the draft plan. And that was work was led by a waterfront plan working group that met for three years, developed recommendations that were endorsed by the Port Commission uh, in December 2019. And so that draft waterfront plan really set the framework for what the public's expectations and values about how they would like to see the Port waterfront improved over the long run the pol goals and policies in this draft waterfront plan were to provide that direction to the Port Commission and to the Port staff. Before the Port Commission can approve this plan, it has to go through an environmental review process under the California Environmental Quality Act, CEQA. There was a draft environmental impact report that was prepared and that process is coming to a close towards the end of this year. That process, that EIR process, must be completed before the Port Commission can then consider the approval of the draft waterfront plan. And because uh, it was 2019, at the end of 2019, when the working group produced all of these recommendations and the Commission uh, endorsed the plan, we wanted to make sure that we took a look to make any updates in information in the plan now so that we can share it with the Commission and the public before the Port Commission is being asked in the near future to approve a final waterfront plan. And so again, we need to complete that CEQA environmental review process. We're using this time to make those revisions to the plan. Um, as the staff report reflects, um, we did a wholesale scrub through the entire plan and uh, all of the proposed revisions that the staff has identified now is available on a link on the port's website. Public notice has gone out to all of our advisory committees and interested citizens so that they have an opportunity to review it. It's pretty voluminous. A lot of it is just um, technical and informational updates. So the staff report, uh, we have tried to distill of all of those revisions, what are the ones that actually affect the policies in the draft plan? And that's in attachment A of your uh, Port Commission staff report. And of those policies, many of them are just grammatical and technical edits. Of those policies, which are the ones that have the most substantive uh, change that we that would most likely have the most interest for the commission and the public and those are listed in table one of your uh, port commission staff report um, so we've tried to create different layers 
for people to navigate through uh, to the issues that would be of greatest interest um, to facilitate public review and comment by October 1st. Uh, in terms of the just general scope of the uh, plan revisions, um, I think it's important for the public as well as the Port Commission to know that the work that the Waterfront Plan Working Group did to update the plan really gave a lot of direction. In fact, it's great to um, review all of the resilience uh, reports that have been received this afternoon. Um, in 2000, from 2016 to 2019, we didn't have a waterfront resilience program as we know it today, but the public was very concerned about resilience, climate change, sea level rise. So this waterfront plan does have goals and policies about resilience, about environmental sustainability. Uh, equity was a very big um, issue that the public wanted to make sure that all of the opportunities and benefits along the waterfront provided equitable opportunities. And so in that regard, the waterfront plan set um, a framework of values and objectives and expectations for the port, which now have um, grown to be the more robust, specific work that you perceive today on the resilience program, on the racial equity ac uh, action plan, and the port strategic plan. And it's important for us to be able to communicate to the public that the waterfront plan and the strategic plan the Racial Equity Action Plan, and the Waterfront Resilience Program all have a strategic relationship and alignment with each other. So many of the revisions in the draft Waterfront Plan now are to recognize and call out the Waterfront Resilience Program, the Racial Equity Action Plan, um, really explain that relationship with the Port Commission's strategic plan, that's peppered throughout um, the, the document. Um, there's a lot of background information in the waterfront plan that needed to be updated. Some projects have been completed already or statuses have changed and so that resulted in revisions. We hired and worked with a technical editor that did a comprehensive scrub through the plan. There were a lot of technical terms and complications that we really wanted to um, get out of the plan to simplify it, to make it as easy to read and understand as possible, and that resulted in a lot of fine-grained changes that are not substantive in, in nature in policy, but it is for readability and under, understandability. And we also have been working very uh, deeply with um, public comments that we received from the Dolphin Club and the South End Rowing Club. They came in through the draft EIR process with public comments, um, and then we followed up to and are in the process still of working through a very um, comprehensive review that they have done of the plan and made requests for revisions to the plan, some of which are included in the staff report here. Some of them we are still in discussion with and I anticipate there will be some additional plan revisions that will result from those conversations. 
Um, in particular, you know, there, as Diane Walton just expressed earlier this afternoon, um, a big fo focus of their comments is just to really highlight the fact that they're here and that they have been here for a very long time, that each of the clubs have over a hundred year history in San Francisco, and the growth and the popularity of water recreation use in bay, whether for swimming or rowing, non-motorized um, vessel um, activity, and um, the importance of making sure that our maritime operations and all of those in-bay water recreation activities are managed uh, responsibly to protect safety and enjoyment of the bay, to protect water quality and um, health of people who enjoy uh, the bay for their recreation, um, and uh, as Diane reflected, to uh, include the water recreation community in these resilience discussions that um, we are having and will continue to have over the long run. So again, we have taken um, our first cut at revisions to incorporate into the plan and we would um, come back to you with additional changes. Um, beyond the swim and rowing club uh, comments, uh, just to give you a, a little snapshot of the revisions that are in the documents that uh, are available to the public are uh, just new information. Um, we have, we've had a pandemic, um, you know, we didn't have a pandemic as of December 2019. We had to include some references on that. There's some background information that has come to the fore that we wanted to note in some of the revisions. Um, we have gone through the policies and since the draft plan has been in place, we've had a chance to really apply those public values in the work that the port is doing and we've seen places where the policy statements can be tightened up and made more clear, so uh, we've included those revisions. Uh, we've also deleted some policies. Some projects actually have been implemented already or some of the policy language was uh, duplicative and so we wanted to reduce that duplication and uh, deleted a few policies in the process. Um, you know, there's, there's a lot of other details and um, we're inviting uh, the public as well as the, um, the commission members to contact me and we can certainly have more detailed follow-up as needed. So in terms of next steps, um, as I mentioned, we will continue to be working with the Dolphin and the South End Rowing Clubs on uh, reviewing um, their plan revision comments. Um, and in providing all of this information to the general public, we'll, we um, will also check to see what other comments and questions come in from other members of the public between now and October 1st. And um, then we'll gather all of those additional changes and would come to the Port Commission uh, with a follow-up briefing to uh, report out any further changes because ultimately these changes to this plan would pr be proposed to be rolled into a proposed final waterfront plan. So we want to make sure that the commission has a good handle and understanding of all of that. Um, we're working very closely with the San Francisco Planning Department to complete the CEQA uh, review process and the EIR. Uh, we're coordinating all of these plan revisions with them so that 
Uh, we make sure that there aren't any CEQA issues that um, are unaddressed. And um, we're also working with the planning department in terms of conforming amendments so that the changes to the waterfront plan will be aligned with the city's policies uh, as they pertain to the waterfront, as well as with BCDC and uh, the San Francisco Waterfront Special Area Plan. Um, it's important for the city, the port, and BCDC to have consistent policies to support our work and to facilitate improvements over the long run. So with that, that's um, kind of it in a nutshell, and I'm happy to answer any questions. Thank you. Thank you, Diane. Is, is there any public comment in the room? There is. Diane, did you want to speak again, or are you good? I'm Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Pia. I can't read the last name. Pia? Yes. Hello, everybody. Um, I'm Pia Hinkle. Um, I was actually a member of the Waterfront Plan Advisory Group back through all the meetings and worked with Diane. And I'm also a lifetime Dolphin Club member. Um, so I just wanted to first express uh, my gratitude to Diane for working with us, um, the open water swimming and open water recreation community, which has grown considerably here in San Francisco over the last 30 years. We're really a global destination for training for all kinds <coughs> of elite athletes who do water sports, whether it's sailing, marathon swimming, rowing, um, paddling, everything. So um, we made a lot of great progress with Diane and we're looking forward to working for some further tweaking of language and revision to really bring the water into the waterfront plan um, and sort of help educate the port and, um, and really even our, our neighbors along the waterfront about um, how much use is actually going on inside the water because we're swimmers and rowers are so low and we're human powered watercraft. Um, we think there's probably not as much awareness as to how how much activity there is and how vulnerable we are with any kind of increased maritime traffic, commercial traffic. So I just wanted to say thank you, and we look forward to continuing the process. Thank you. Fran Hegeler. Hello, I'm Fran Hegeler. I'm president of the South End Rowing Club. I'm, I'm working with Diane and Diane and Pia and a whole group of people to amend the waterfront plan as has been described. Uh, I wanted to also express my appreciation to Diane who has been fairly extraordinary in reaching out to us and working with us to address our concerns. And I also wanted to just make all of you aware that the two clubs that are here um, represent about 4,000 people together. Um, we have rowers, we have swimmers, runners, handball players, but we spend a lot of time out on the water. We're, regular, um, we're regularly out on the waterfront. And what happens on the land has a great deal to do with what happens on the water, both in terms of um, access, in terms of our ability to do swims, whether they're along the city front or whether they're from Alcatraz. Um, it affects pollution. It also affects traffic. Um, and I wanted to just acknowledge that these water sports are a very deep part of San Francisco's history, its heritage. I think it's also a very important piece of recreation and also attraction. Um, we have lots of commercial swims. Um, 
It draws people down to and through Fisherman's Wharf when they come to visit to do Alcatraz swims, as well as our regular you know, community here. It's, it's a big community, it's a very active community, and it's not always so visible. And so we wanted to come here today, both to make you aware of it in person, to thank Diane for um, going the extra mile to work with us, and to just ask for your continued support as we make sure that the waterfront plan that you all are stewarding reflects this very important piece of San Francisco. So thank you very much. Thank you. Is there any other comment in the room? If not, Jenica will provide instructions now for our remote group participants. Thank you, Vice President Brandon. At this time, we will open the queue for anyone on the phone who would like to make public comment on item 11A. Please dial star three if you wish to make public comment. The system will let you know when your line is open. Others will wait on mute until their line is open. Comments will be limited to three minutes per person. The queue is now open. Please dial star three if you wish to make public comment. At this time, there are no members of the public on the phone wishing to make public comment. Thank you, Jenica. Public comment is closed. Commissioner Lee. Um, <clears throat> you know, part of the reason I wanted to be on port was because of all these activities and the historic factor of the port. And this plan that you are putting together, I'm looking forward to for this final, because, you know, by in my business, I'm, I'm more of like a promoter, right? So this is kind of an action plan that will help me, you know, maybe help you and the public to, you know, to promote the port to be a more inclusive, you know, and more activity because when there's more people at the port, then the, the tenants will make money, right? <laughs> so I'm, I'm really glad that this is coming. I mean, it's, it's taken a while, it looks like, right? So um, I, I can't wait to October 1st when it's finished <laughs> and, and help you in a lot of these sections, you know, that I have some ideas. But um, congratulations on this and exactly what I'm looking for. Thank Perfect. you. Perfect. Thank you. Thank you. Commissioner Burton. Yeah, um, what I'm taken by is the last presentation that would seem to me, in my ignorance, except for the equity part and the dolphins and the swimming, that a lot of it is either premature because of everything that was talked about. Uh, no, I'll just say it premature. And, and they did to my fellow commissioner when I was a kid, they had a big aquatic park swim. And it was a swim that gave out, a friend of mine wanted, but I mean, it had maybe not national, but state things but they swam from Aquatic Park and out towards Alcatraz and back. And then one of my, uh, well, I don't know if he's a teacher, but he was a one-legged guy, Dick Ritger, who swam from Aquatic Park out to Alcatraz and back, you know, on his, on his one leg. So uh, I think that part's still there, but 
I don't know how we can make any kind of long distance plan when what we just talked about is going to kind of it almost seems like it's premature or, or at least should be melded in and I don't think when this plan had its inception that anybody was thinking about all of that shall we use it redevelopment or development on the waterfront I mean that's just me as an outside guy who can hardly swim but, uh, <laughs> make, make that comment but uh, I mean, I was, I was a big fan of, uh, of the aquatic swim because my buddy swam it and won it. And also, if you could think of a one-legged person doing Alcatraz and back, I mean, Amazing. That, that, that was just, a, still remember his name, and I was like 12 years old, Dick Ritker. Yeah. So, I don't know, but can you comment on how this thing's going to, this plan, going to be Chexico's, but all, all of a sudden there's like a 5, 10, and 15 year plan that kind of can obfuscate, or obfuscate some of this stuff, or at least it looks like that to me. I don't know. It's a good point, Commissioner Burton. Um, clearly, um, sea level rise and all of the work that the Resilience Program team is doing is going to introduce choices and new opportunities. But there was a handoff. I mean, it wasn't as though the public or the commission didn't know that sea level, the sea levels were rising when we were updating the waterfront plan. And in fact, Prop A, the bond measure for the Embarcadero seawall, passed during the time that we were updating the plan. So people were very focused on the vulnerability of the Embarcadero and the need for adaptation. We also knew that we would not be able to identify specific outcomes or solutions as part of this waterfront plan process because there was going to be a lot of work that was going to be required, which is what you're seeing through all of the presentations that you've received today. But to do adaptation planning, it's kind of a chicken and egg thing, but there are values and connections that people have with this waterfront, with this public waterfront the ferry buildings, the swim clubs. There are different things that people really value. And the waterfront plan really expresses what are those public values that people, that make the San Francisco waterfront special. And those are markers then that the resilience planning teams have been using. When they go out to the public to start talking to people about how we should approach adaptation of the San Francisco waterfront, they started with questions like, what do you like about the waterfront? What's important to you about what we should be retaining or improving? And a lot of those ideas are expressed in the waterfront plan. So yes, over the long run, maybe there will have to be course correction changes uh, in the plan, but the ferry building, that's expressed as a very important resource in the waterfront plan, which was handed off to the resilience planning, where then they started talking about more details about resilience of the ferry building area and what would be needed to save it. And the public's response has been, we still value the ferry building, even though it's a complicated 
uh, undertaking to try and adapt it for sea level rise or seismic uh, retrofit, there's still support for the port to continue to invest in improvements in the ferry building because it's so important to San Franciscans and, and the region. So the plan gives us some direction to be able to have those public conversations to inform how we direct dollars and improvements for the waterfront. And if there are new ideas that come up in the resilience planning that aren't in the waterfront plan, that would be a moment that we would have to revisit the waterfront plan and update it. So this, and I don't mean it in a negative way, the plan is kind of a wish list, seems like to me. Well, and, which, and I don't mean okay. that in a bad way. Um, what would you like the waterfront to be? Yes. I mean, it is, it's a set of public desires and objectives or needs. Um, and whether we're able to reach all of those is um, really a product of all of us working together. And a strong belief in miracles. <laughs> I'm negative. You know, not about this, but like I say, I, you know, grew up uh, aquatic park waterfront, spent more time in aquatic park than I did in college. Okay, thank you. I just wanted to, I, I get it, that's, that's, that's fine. Thank you. Thank you, Madam Chair. Thank you. Commissioner Gilman. Um, Diane, thank you so much, and it is always such a pleasure um, to, to have you at the podium reporting to us, and, and especially for this project. I know it's also close to your heart. Um, and I wanted to say, I wanted to acknowledge that, you know, in the, you know, in what we saw already, I know it's still a work in progress. You see page 14 where we've incorporated feedback um, um, from our partners. And I really appreciate that we're going to overlay both our strategic plan, but our equity plan. And I think this is just more a general comment. It's not to you. It's also just to the public that I, I would hope to, um, with our equity plan, you know, that we launched, you know, pre right before the pandemic in a lot of ways, um, that we incorporate that into all aspects of it. So, you know, I'm not familiar with um, any kind of outreach or programming. I'm sure it exists that both the Dolphin and the Rowing Club does, to, especially to young adults or youth to get them active in water sports and hopefully um, communities of color um, that are along the waterfront, um, Bayview, Chinatown, <coughs> et cetera. But I just hope that in incorporating all this feedback, all our partners share our equity values and goals around making the waterfront inclusive for everyone. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you. Diane, it's always so wonderful to see you. And and you're being very modest when you say, oh, I just came back for a little while to help out. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we would not have a waterfront plan without exactly. Diane. <laughs> She has been engaged since the very inception of the working group that took six years <laughs> to produce our first waterfront land use plan. And now to, do, to be back and help with the revisions, thank you. We appreciate you. The port cannot do this without you, so thank, thank you. you. And I just, my only question is, what role did the working group have in this, these revisions or, um, seeing the revisions? They, they have pretty much disbanded their work. Their um, job was to produce these policy recommendations, which the Port Commission basically endorsed all of them. Mm -hmm. And so that was a happy ending for their work. 
uh, but they have been notified about these revisions because they're really the authors of this uh, mm -hmm. waterfront plan, so we have to make sure that they know that we're making these changes and the reasons why, and if there are things that we can do to improve upon that effort, then obviously we want to make uh, take advantage of well, that. Well, especially the ones that, you know, are changing the policies that they wrote. So right. I, I'm just, I'm hoping that we can keep them engaged and make sure that if there are any concerns or positive outcomes to, to please let us know because they're very valuable in this whole process. And again, we could not have done it without them. Absolutely. No, they're our best ambassadors. Yes, definitely. Um, and so are there any policy revisions that besides the, the REAP and the strategic plan and the inclusion of other things and making sure that we take into consideration our, our swimming clubs and our um, aquatics and all that, is there, are there any policy revisions that you think you should bring to our attention? Um, you know, I, I think that the revisions in Table 1 are the ones that are the most noteworthy. There are mm -hmm. a couple that affect the Embarcadero Historic District, which actually are not trying to change the content. It's it, the language of the policy as it was first written wasn't all that clear. When we worked with the technical editor, it was somewhat ambiguous. So the intention is not to change the purpose of the policy, but because it, there was so much focus on what we should do to try and rehabilitate Embarcadero Historic District peers, we wanted to make sure people knew that those policies were being changed. Um, the other policy that I would point out, uh, again, on Table 1, relates to the community engagement policies. Um, there were some that were carved out for the southern waterfront only in terms of how we share and present uh, project information with the Southern Advisory Committee. Let me see, I'll tell you what page that's on to help you out here. Um, it's on page thir 13, the bottom of page 13 in that table. Um, there had been just a carve out for this is what you do to take projects to the Southern Advisory Committee. We thought that those rules really should be applied to all of our mm -hmm. advisory right. committees, mm -hmm. to the northern as well as the southern. Mm -hmm. So we took those principles and put them at the top, which is this is how we're going to engage our, all of our port advisory committees, whether you're in the north or the south, and therefore we deleted the one uh, as a southern waterfront only policy because we wanted to elevate it. Thank you. That's great. So I, I think, you know, I mean, I could go on and on, but I don't think you want me to do that. <laughs> <laughs> no, I read over a lot of it, but I just wasn't quite sure if there was something that you thought that, you know, we really needed to focus on. But yeah, thank this, you for that It question. seems like a lot of them are pretty minor, just. Yeah, and, I mean, if you, if you took the time to go through it, um, it's pretty tedious because most of it is really trying to just make it tighter and more succinct and clear for the lay public. Okay. Thank you. Any other questions? No? Yeah. Okay. Thank you. Thank you, Diane. Carl, next item, please. Item number 12 is new business. Is there any new business? I didn't hear any. Oh, um, <clears throat> just a quick.
the uh, I helped send out your communications little thing that Carl sent me. Um, is I, and I don't know what I didn't really get into the prerequisites, but are you are they going to be a little bit uh, savvy on the social media end more than traditional and try to go more mainstream on the on that job description? Um, thank you, Commissioner Lee, for the question. Uh, just for everyone's um, uh, understanding, uh, Commissioner <laughs> Lee is asking about our um, communications director search and outreach, uh, which we're getting out as as uh, broadly as possible. Such an important position. And yes, the media and the um, technical di digital age is part of it. Uh, we actually have staff now who's very, very adept at that world. Um, her name is Kelly. Um, so we are definitely going to be looking broad broadly and looking for ways to communicate in the modern, in, in our current era. Yeah, that's great. Especially um, the new um, policy or the, the goals you know, I think a lot of people would be interested. And like you said, nobody really knew about it before. So I think it's time to change that. Thank you. Is there any other new business? If not, may I have a motion to adjourn? I so move that we adjourn. Second. All in favor? Aye. Any Aye. opposed? We are adjourned at 4.30. 6 p.m.